Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ooh, we're rolling? Okay, we're rolling now. I'm going to count us down. Ooh. Yeah. Three, two. I am going to eat that baby. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. <laughs> uh, this is Missing Out, and I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And today, we're joined by a special guest, Connor Kerr. I'm so happy to have you. There's no sarcasm, even though that's the way my voice sounds. Uh, anyway, Hi. hey man, how, how how's it going? Do you regret being on the show now? You know, I just want to say how happy I am to be here. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Connor, real quick. This is uh, off to a good start. Who who uh, who are you? Who are you? What do you do? Um, I'm a filmmaker. I'm an amateur filmmaker here living in Los Angeles. That's the biggest umbrella I would put myself under, first and foremost. Okay, creating, uh, in effect, a framework for yourself. Right, in which exactly. To operate. Which I will later break. Yes. Nice. And you can count on that. Um, Hell yeah. I'm a liberal. I'm a recycler. <laughs> I am... A song and dance I'm maker. I'm a plant planter, yeah. Yes, a uh, uh, quintuple hyphenate at minimum. I'm a jive yeah. dancer. Always looking to add more hyphens. Yeah. But are you a midnight toker? Are you... A- Joe, Joe Smoker, uh, uh, what? Are you, you a gangster of love? There we go. Right. Found no, it. You got it. Yeah. Found it. Do some people call you Maurice? Once or twice. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, speaking of, so uh, back to the framework. Yes. If in case this is your very first time listening to the show, uh, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media or experiences, whether it be movies, television, music, uh, spoken word. We've, we'll talk about books at some point. <laughs> at some um, point, we will prove that we are, in fact, literate. I mean, you're, you're, we know you're guessing. We know that it's a question you have every week. Um, but in doing so, we talk about how that medium has built us as people and helped frame our perspectives of the world um and one could say that we are the retrospective that is introspective one could you did yeah one did one did at least one did i am the one yes i am i um so uh this week we're going to be talking about the darren aronofsky mother 2017's mother he wrote it he directed it it has a a slew of different stars just running in and out of it we've got uh jennifer lawrence we've got javier bardem we have donald gleason donald gleason and i guess is the other guy his actual brother there was he he also has the last name gleason right there is Um, another gleason yeah there are multiple gleason was that the gleason there was a Gleason. There's another Gleason sibling that's in a scene in one of the Star Warses. Yeah. Uh, and he's just sitting there at a computer terminal. He looks a lot like Brendan. He looks way more like Brendan than Donald does. Right. Okay. But we've also got in this motion picture, we got a uh, little Ed Harris. Yes. We got a little, little Pfeiffer. A little Pfeiffer action happening. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, we got uh, Kristen Wiig as well. Um, I feel like at some point I wrote down that there was someone I was like, 
hey, but I don't remember who it is. But and also, uh, yeah, it's it's weird because you get so many people coming in and out of the scene that it's hard to even like wrap your brain around who they are until and then the moment you do, they're gone. Um, Why are we even talking about this film? That's a good question. That's first of all, that's a really good question. Like, Second of all, like like Connor, you when I uh, pitched the show to you and asked if you wanted to come on. You led with an idea, and and Mother is a pretty good example in your estimation of what that idea is. So I guess, yeah, maybe we start with what was the idea that sort of led you to this film as a particular topic of conversation? Right. The idea was just films that break from a traditional narrative structure and just go off the rails. Um, And they go off the rails either by literally going off the rails or by not going anywhere. Right. Which sends people off the rails. Yes, for sure. Uh, Mother, I think it can be said, sent quite a few people off the rails. So much so that Paramount felt the need to publicly defend the movie, which I thought was uh, cool of them. I thought it was really cool of them to make the thing in the first place yeah. and then to stick by it even when people were like, what? What is this? Kill them! Uh, I thought that was a really kind of classy, like, that was a classy move. Studios normally don't, in in my experience, especially more recently, don't publicly back kind of weird movies that aren't necessarily received all that well after they're not received all that well. Right. Yeah, especially Paramount, because uh, we were talking about um, Annihilation a few weeks ago and how they kind of like buried that one. So for them to have like gone and, and back this one up is a real interesting move on their part as well. So was, yeah. was Annihilation Paramount as well? It yes. was. And, and we talked on this show and has been talked about all over the place how uh, Paramount uh, released it in theaters in the U.S. and China. And then I suppose after they deemed that the movie was uh, too too smart for general audiences, yeah. released it directly to Netflix and all other territories. Right. Is it on Netflix? I believe, Ironically, it is no, not. No, not here. So, yeah. Not, not here, here in the U.S.? I didn't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It'll uh, get there. You got to rent that baby. Um, but yeah, speaking of babies, you could argue it's uh, too smart for Netflix. Mm. Oh, that's a that's a whole nother conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. I've, I've done I've gone on rants on this show about Netflix and their choices. Have you? Oh, I have. Was I here? You were, and you kept going. Stop it! Don't. Why? Why Ted, are you Ted doing Sarando's this? Ted going to come in and be like, <laughs> "I heard what you said," and start swinging a machete <laughs> at you and shit. Um. Okay. So wait, wait, wait. Go on. I go. feel like Annihilation was much more critically well received than mother for sure i definitely think more people who saw it figured out what to do with it so why did they need to bury it in your opinion too i guess it was too smart they thought yeah i don't i don't i mean i think it's a really smart movie but i would have hoped that they'd give their audience a little bit more credit than that yeah Mm -hmm. i would i would say so and i think that like mainly uh, annihilation is more critically accepted because it does if you look at it comparatively have a, a generally uh, traditional narrative structure where you start with your protagonist, which is uh, Natalie Portman, and essentially make your, make your way following her through her journey. And she, for all intents and purposes, accomplishes her goal. Whereas, like, Mother, you start with your protagonist, and then it just spirals into madness. Um, and then, like, it, it finds a way of almost wrapping it back around. Um, well, it does wrap it back. It becomes, so, a, it's like a perfect Ouroboros. Right. Um, so so I, why aren't people satisfied? I don't know. I mean, I think that like if you don't go into it knowing, I guess let's talk about the movie. We itself do. We got to talk bit. about the movie right. a little bit, um, right? Because like you compare yeah. it to Annihilation, and I feel like Annihilation, you at least have the advantage of experiencing the madness along with your protagonist. So things become 
uh, massively disorienting for you as they're becoming massively disoriented for the Natalie Portman character. But in Mother, you start not knowing at all. You start you don't have any ground under you. And yes, as things get crazier and crazier and crazier for Jennifer Lawrence, they get crazier for you as a viewer. But you're off kilter without ground to stand on immediately, like right from the beginning. Right. As far as, you know, what what is this? What story is this? Uh, no grounding. That's true. Yeah, you could do a whole prelude to Annihilation and set up a plot, but you could not... You could barely do the same. There is minimal ground to start on. Yes. And so this. I feel like as a viewer, immediately you're, you're completely off balance. And then the thing doesn't, it doesn't give you information. You right. have to either figure out what it's doing or you don't figure out what it's doing. And it only continues to get more and more and more mad from that point. And if you don't key in, in my opinion, if you don't key into what it's doing relatively early on, by the end of it, you, I could see one potentially being uh, upset Maybe, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, I think that, like, so uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started rolling, but uh, this was my first time seeing it, and I imagine it's your at least your second time seeing it. Um, yeah. Uh, and like, so, how many times have you seen this? I actually think this was my second time. I saw it in the theater, and then I yeah. watched it again for the show. This was my third. Okay. Yesterday was my third. Okay, Ooh. so did you see it twice in theaters, or have you seen it twice? Twice out of theaters. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that I had a, a added benefit of knowing just even the fact that it's an allegory. I think if you go in without that, then essentially you're forced to kind of take this story on its surface until you like realize it. But having that context, it essentially is about this loveless couple and one of the guys is a fame whore and keeps inviting people over to his house until those people become overly fucked up. Um, like on its surface, that is what the story is. Um, but then you start to key into the fact that like, if depending on your interpretation, there are numerous interpretations of this movie, which we'll dive into. Yeah. And sidebar, right. I've talked on this show as well about how some of my favorite pieces of art in any medium, uh, again, this is why I keep going back to like David Lynch, uh, work that can support multiple interpretations equally. Like there are, I would argue there are probably three major ways to interpret this and the movie supports all of them in equal measure. Yeah. Aronofsky really only talks publicly about one of them. And I've, we've talked a little bit off mic about this, Tari, about how I feel sometimes, at least the way he talks about it, he doesn't realize how interesting the movie he made is. Right. The only angle he talks about that I've heard him talk about is the, it's a, it's a metaphor for, uh, it's, it's global warming, it's climate change, it's the damage we're doing to mother earth, which I think the movie fully supports. But I would argue that really is only one of three that it supports equally. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, is it possible to have seen this movie without an, a massive amount of subtext going in? Like you've heard stuff, you've heard the allegory chat, you've heard this or you've heard that. Is that has anyone seen this just blindly without any ex, kind of expectation? Oh, I did. Really? When I when I saw it in the theater, all I knew was okay. Darren Aronofsky's making this movie. It's like a pseudo horror thing. The trailers are real. Like they're obfuscating the shit out of everything. Yeah. And so at that point, I went, all right, they want me to know as little as possible. I'm going to try and know as little as possible. I'll give it a shot. He's, he tends to do interesting stuff, whether I love it or not. And yeah, so I didn't know. I didn't have any of that information going in. I hadn't heard any of the conversation. You must I've, have gone I've, very early. I've, I've... <laughs> very early into its release. I did. I went... No, I went opening weekend. Okay. Uh, I figured it out pretty, pretty quick. I, when I saw the 
the wound in Ed Harris's side because Ed Harris is is Adam, right? This is right. the 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 second of the three major uh, uh, readings of this movie that the movie supports. It is very directly a biblical allegory. I mean, it is the Bible, and once you get to the 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 rib, essentially, that wound in his side was like Adam's rib being removed, and then Michelle Pfeiffer, our Eve, shows up the very next morning. That immediately followed by Cain and Abel. I mean, the, the literal embodiment of Cain and Abel. At right. that point, I went, oh, okay, it's the Bible. Sweet. The death and all. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, <laughs> um, I, I can't imagine going in without that information. Like, especially if you're not, like, a Bible person. I mean, I'm... Hardly but a Bible like, person, right? But like you're a well-read individual. Are so you I, giving away? You're tipping that I'm literate. This yeah, was that's supposed a future to be, episode. This was supposed Sorry, to be. A I meant that you're wearing red to, right now. You ruin the suspense. Yeah, like you have red all over you. Covered. I mean, head to you're toe. Like a, you're like a newspaper, yeah. black and white, and or red all red over. All yeah, that's our show. It is. That's great. <laughs> that's great. I like. We accomplished something just yeah. now. How about that? <laughs> um, so I assume that when you went in, um, you had already heard some of the the feedback and kind of went in knowing that this was an allegory and that people had issues with it. Right. Yeah. No. I've heard. I'd heard the biblical stuff and I'd heard the nature related themes. Um, but that's not what fascinated me so much about it. It's like just the amount of people who are upset by it. And, you know, we've had other Aronofsky films that don't follow traditions in many ways, but people were, like, upset about like this mad. one. Yeah. This seemed to make people genuinely And angry. I couldn't understand it. Like, why people were mad? Because I had a good time being shaken in my seat. I right. did, too. I had a like, great time. I, but it seems like a lot of people really take issue with movies making them feel uncomfortable. And that's what I'm trying to get to the bottom of. And that's why I brought this up. Is like, is it, does it make them uncomfortable because it uh, moves the traditional narrative into a space that they can't understand? Or is there something else? Is there something about what happened in there? I mean, that in, they don't like in, in fairness, they do mangle and eat a baby, which yes. if you're not on board with depictions of a, a neck snap and baby eating, right. then I could totally understand why some of this on a visceral level may upset <laughs> you. They definitely uh, beat the living crap out of Jennifer Lawrence at the end. I can totally see it upsetting certain people in that sense, in an immediately visceral sense. Yeah. But people really seem to be attacking the movie uh, uh, almost foundationally, not even about the content. But yeah, like, like Connor, like you were talking about, specifically the form of it really seemed to bug people yeah and i did hear a lot of people too like and and this always bums me out when i a movie comes out that i find really really interesting and it doesn't make everybody feel super warm and fuzzy and then people try and suggest and i I heard this a bunch about mother well you know movies are supposed to movies are supposed to entertain you this didn't entertain me it's not very good i'm like shut the fuck up like that's to me that is um if not an outright juvenile then certainly very myopic view of what film and art in general can and should be allowed to do right it's like you know we have we would have had to just like move over those unpleasantries in order for them to have been even entertained right right so the introduction of stuff like that it cancels out the entertainment value right right also I would argue that this movie is entertaining. Like I had a great, like it's fucked up and it's upsetting, but I had a great time being upset by the fucked up shit. Right. And like, I think it's, it's, 
on on a just a technical level like it's beautifully shot um there are a lot like especially the way that they use light like there are moments when they transition from a really like light tones to just deep reds and and you can feel the the tension just based on how they make those shifts and and i think that like it's also super well acted and i think that like the way that the the people interact there's so much like subtext in just the way that they look at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that like just on that level, there's so much to take away from it. Even if it's not, um, even if you're not like, oh man, these the, the way that Jennifer Lawrence and, and Javier Bardem have sex is weird. Um, like, which it is a little bit. It, it's very weird. It's sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, but too right you, you, You're talking about Some of the technical aspects yeah. I would argue The entire third act Of this movie Or what you could I guess reasonably Call the third act In terms of running time Is I mean like It's a staggering Masterclass in technical Execution on yeah. I mean just t- The way they use The set The way they fill The set with people And with destruction And all of the Moving parts And it all feels incredibly seamless and it really real to me really feels like you are actively descending into madness along with this character right and that's insanely difficult to pull off especially the way he was able to pull it off and i feel like even if it isn't your cup of tea and again i totally get if like the the baby neck snap and and uh, consumption of the baby which again bible jesus right um I get if that's not your jam or you find a blasphemous or some shit, but like you got to tip your hat right to technical filmmaking executed at that level. Yes. Yeah. And so like, I want to get a little bit into the, the allegory aspect of it. I also want to use the dumb joke in my mind that this movie really puts the gory in allegory. Am I mm. right guys? God. Am I right guys? That's a good one. You've been sitting, you've been sitting on that. Oh yeah. For oh, some time now. You're not, just... you're not wrong, but like, <laughs> right. But like it was a pleasure to you receive that joke. <laughs> hey, I'm glad that's yeah. what I'm here for. I feel sticky. <laughs> I, just, I don't that's, like it. That's how all my jokes land. It just, just makes you feel, you know what it is? It's like you rub, you rub like sour patch kids on my arm for about oh. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Is how I feel. Um, my yeah. jokes are the Darren Aronofsky film of humor. But but the way uh, you talk they're, about them publicly, they're I extremely like, well constructed and executed. I feel like you maybe don't understand how interesting your jokes are. Oh, I don't. <laughs> I just I just made a thing. Yeah. It's really up to everyone to give their own interpretations of it. Um, and so, like Aronofsky, when he talks about it publicly, he he's very specific that like Mother is Mother Earth. And uh, all the things that we, all the things that happened to her are what we as people have done to her. Yes. Um, and so, like, by the end, we, are, we will have destroyed her, and then she will have been reborn with a different nose. With, um, with all of us, got different nose, with all of us gone, right? Because that's what yes, happens. The incinerated. House, right, if the house is essentially Earth, right, in this metaphor, and she is yeah. Mother, her character is called Mother, uh, once the, the son, once Cain murders Abel, and all of the the mourners start pouring in and then all of the fans later on, it's essentially everybody starts flooding the earth more and more and more people behaving in these increasingly presumptuous and entitled ways until yes, they literally start beating the shit out of her. Right. They eat her, they eat her, uh, her, her begotten yes. child yeah. and they literally beat the shit out of her. And what does she do? She ultimately by the end of it retaliates by consuming them all in fire, which, Hey, if you're paying attention to current events, uh, no correlation there whatsoever. Yes. Right. One, there's no no connection between the fire and warmings. Um, but I would say that, like, 
we were talking about this a little bit off mic um, and about how this interpretation of the the world and the planet assumes that Darren Aronofsky believes that the the biblical chronology of the earth is the one and true chronology of earth which is a really interesting thing to think about and that like most people are like yeah the earth was born billions of years ago and over time like if you believe in evolution then like the 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 way that this occurs uh would be a little bit different but but since if you take the the way that the bible says that like earth was created in seven days and then like you know man was born and then and then they did their thing and etc etc jesus came and wiped their sins away etc um what uh, just picturing jesus wiping our sins away with right. some clorox naps and shit yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. you're you're clean nah it's only through the blood you gotta eat that blood you're baby clean. you gotta eat that baby blood that's yeah sweet, sweet Wipe off that last joke as well while you're at it. <laughs> yes, I'm still covered in the but weird sugary debris. Of what your... I think is super interesting is like you have to ask yourself what uh, this film would look like if Aronofsky had been born into a different religion, yeah, in a different household. Um, like if he was raised Orthodox Jewish, right? What is this? What is this movie, film equivalent to? Right. In that, I want to. I want to. All right, I want to see if I can find out how how Aronofsky was raised, like what what denomination. You guys, uh, you, vamp, vamp for a minute, vamp, go run. <laughs> Some kind of Christian denomination. I mean, you would imagine so. I mean, because this is very specific, like Christianity up through the end of the Old Testament, right? Um, and then, I mean, from the from the moment that like we get to baby Jesus being born, like that's the end. It's like yeah. there's no. There's nothing between like Jesus and, and what the makes end me of the world. what makes think he was Christian is also you know she supposedly wrote this movie in in one night one and a half nights and so you would have to have all that knowledge right on hand right if, uh, Darren Aronofsky was is and was raised Jewish that makes sense See, that's interesting um, because in the Jewish faith they are essentially waiting for the Messiah to arrive so, right so like in Christianity it's we assume that like Jesus was born he did his death thing and then basically we lived our lives up through when revelations happens but like this movie doesn't do that it literally just goes up until like Jesus comes and he's like yo 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 you got to forgive you, uh and also like new testament assumes that uh we are now dealing with a more benevolent god once Jesus gave his life but like if you really watch this movie and assume that Javier Bardem is god in this situation like he's very selfish and very like all about worship um which is how the old testament really paints him right but i don't i don't necessarily think javier represents god in this film interesting yeah okay Tell me more yes do i go. think he represents man okay explain in a direct sense um he just doesn't seem he doesn't there's no omnipotent kind of subtext to his character he is man he is of flaw he is of persuasion okay i mean i could see that in that like man is are the ones who wrote the bible and essentially like that is so the uh, the, the earth is his interpretation occurred. it's not right. his creation yeah interesting although he does with the with the crystal right he like pulls the crystal out of the deceased mother and then sort yeah. of remakes the earth from that but that but could only also, from that. But only from that, yeah. right? So without he that, he can't create a whole cloth. Exactly. He needs, yeah. So he's like he's more of you know a Jesus character, a son of God. It could also be interpreted that like his 
like the crystal and in his storytelling is how we essentially keep reinterpreting the the origin of the earth itself like we believe that it is at some point we believed it came from the greek gods at another point we believe that like you know there was one almighty god at another point we're like science bitches like the the way that he and now we seem to be going the other way on that one but i agree like if he is man then like it could be more about how we see the 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 way that the earth exists and the origins of it and so like as we make our way towards something that is more destructive we could in fact find a way to either try to start again and then have that origin be the one that yeah. we follow i mean i think he represents man in like the most purest way i mean he's placed um he's given everything in a kind of a garden of eden situation and yet he represents everything that all the flaws that man has succumbed to and if we're going to write if we're going to uh posit him as a representation of man that does lead us to the third of the three major interpretations of this movie i've heard which is the one that i think makes some some people feel a little a little scuzzy about it but that it's very directly about living with and trying to be in love with an artist Mm. in which some people's reading of it is that well Javier Bardem is actually an analog for Darren Aronofsky himself Mm -hmm. and Jennifer Lawrence is an analog for Jennifer Lawrence for Jennifer Lawrence right they you know they dated around the right and so I guess that aspect of it made some people feel a little weird about it but I find that really fascinating the movie does I would argue support that reading of it just as fully as it supports the other two right and i get maybe like if if that really was part of his intention specifically to to describe i guess that that relationship as he understands it presumably from his own life i i could see it maybe making some people uncomfortable that amount of just like personal like okay this is i'm just throwing up even some of the more ugly uh parts of who i am and what i do up on the screen and i get how maybe some people might be put off by that but i think it's insanely cool that even if it's only by accident this dude is essentially just taking his heart ripping it out like javier bardem does to the the mother husk throwing it up on the screen and being like look Look at how shitty I am. Look at how shitty it is. Just let <laughs> right. me rub your face and how fucking shitty it is. Smell it. Just fucking smell it. <laughs> oh my god. That's what he that's what he said when he was pitching this. When he was right. like, I need a few bucks, Paramount. He's just like, fuck it, come here. He grabs the exec. Smell it. Smell <laughs> and the exec really like Noah, so like they're cool with it. Yeah. yeah. Is this is this screenplay written in shit? Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he I, dug it out of a pile of shit. I picture him. I picture him like pitching the thing and standing up on the seat with a like a plastic baby doll and just breaking the head off, going. <laughs> yeah, and they were uh, like, "You're good to go." Yeah, it's like, yeah, just please get out. We'll finance <laughs> this thing just so you leave. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, guys, I think we're saving his life by financing this movie. <laughs> right. This man clearly needs help. <laughs> yeah. We're doing him a real mitzvah. Jeez. Um, uh, um, so I feel like now we can kind of start talking about the like non-traditional uh, narrative structure. Uh, and so since you brought this topic in, I wanted to see if I can get you to kind of give us an idea of what you feel like is a, a traditional narrative structure uh, versus like what we're dealing with in Mother. Right. I mean, obviously, 
it's more of a three act is what's viewed as traditional. Um, Not even so much a linear story, which we do have here, essentially. Um, Nothing happens out of chronological order here. Yeah. But yeah, it's breaking something. And then what they do with this lot is too, they break, which I think is cool, is they break time and little spatial barriers. And I think that upsets people. Yeah. Um, But it it just kind of takes a fork left and in a very uncomfortable direction and it's like can we do that nowadays is that something studios if this wasn't an auteur director doing is that something we we would even fly right like i don't think anybody but say a darren aronofsky gets this amount of money to release this movie theatrically i mean terrence mallet could have made this Mm -mm. yeah but but also like five years ago i terrence malick is not in my experience not quite this intense but, right, but, but, but I'm saying of, is if after Tree of Life he would have pitched this, I think they would have funded it. Yes, yeah, but like, but I guess that speaks to your point, right? Terrence Malick is another guy; he's one of the only guys, and even Terrence Malick, I feel like it's he's he's kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, one of the only people that could do what Terrence Malick does and get that released on any kind of scale. Yeah, right. But also in the terms of non-traditional, it's like you can break away, but you it's like there's this connotation that you have to keep audiences comfortable throughout. Right. And right. you kind of have to coddle them and like everything, you know, you can get your point across, but it has to be in a, you know, in a kosher way. You can't kill a baby and eat it right. and mess with the time and space of this house. And like, how dare you? Yeah, right. Especially, I, I guess, right. If you don't pick up any part of the allegory, you don't know what's happening at any point in the story. So especially once like you talk about like really distorting the, the perception of time and mm-hmm. space, especially. Uh, within the house, right? Like that's something that I, I guess a lot of general audiences, their brains won't necessarily know how to process. And, you know, maybe I'm not giving enough people enough credit, you know, but like, yeah, I, I, I could see how that would be like hyper, hyper, hyper disorienting. Right. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a lengthy barrage of uncomfort that comes at them. And I don't think in a traditional narrative structure, you can make people uncomfortable for more than like five minutes at a time. Right. In a scene. And then you got to breathe. They got to breathe and process and like get back to reality. But this doesn't do that for about 25, 30 minutes of nonstop. It just goes harder and harder and harder. I remember seeing it in the theater. And again, I'm going like, this is great. This is good. Like being entertained despite what I was seeing, Mm -hmm. but it keeps going, going, going. And once they're literally beating the shit out of her on the floor, I'm sitting there in the theater going, holy crap. Yeah. Like I need to like, this is great. I'm ready to go outside now and take a breath of fresh air. I think they know when they should stop and they don't. And that's what makes it non-traditional. But it feels like a choice, right? It doesn't feel like, oh, yeah. He didn't. He didn't know where the line was, and he just it flew past, and he so didn't great. catch himself. It's he knew where the line was and very intentionally jumped over it. Yeah, right. In a way that, yeah, assaults people, makes people uncomfortable, and you see, right, the stuff that makes the most money now, like big tentpole things. And yes, I love, I, I, I love the shit out of those Marvel movies. I, I love Star Wars. I love all that 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 shit. Uh, but a lot of it, you know, it's fairly straightforward. A lot of People can get into it uh, equally across the board because even if you're dealing with deeper themes, bigger ideas, like I would argue like Black Panther did, you're still getting it presented in a relatively straightforward way. You're you're fitting into a fairly standard uh, uh, structure that appeals pretty much across the board. You got a four quadrant that shit. Yeah. Uh, make all the money that you can. And it's all it's like a cynical money thing. But it's like you have to try and appeal to the greatest possible number of people. So you get the greatest return on your investment. And then we see occasionally, right, like people do try to color a little bit outside the lines of what, what we're normally offered in movies like that. And it makes a lot of people really, really 
really mad. Right. Yeah. And I think another way of doing non-traditional narrative is um, through character development and how I like films that don't really develop their characters. They just explore them. And I think you could argue that Jennifer Lawrence is the only one who develops in any way throughout this. I think Bardem was put was the same person essentially from the beginning to the end. You know, he just he was instigated. And yeah. then all the supporting cast, like people don't know their purpose and they don't know what these guys are doing there. And they're almost non human in a way. Right. And people don't like that. No, people really don't. It makes them very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I wonder, so a few weeks ago, uh, we were talking to our good friend Malik, and he was talking about how, because I, I was trying to say that I felt like, um, what movie were we talking about? With Nymphomaniac. It was a Nymphomaniac. Yeah. Uh, about how it ended, and he was giving me shit, because I'm very much used to the, what he calls the Spielbergian movie-making style, um, which I think is very true but i think it's not just me i think it's a very it's it's a specifically a big hollywood american thing because like you go into like japanese or or korean cinema they don't give a fuck about like uh, uh traditional storytelling and they don't care about your comfort they're like you want to see a couple uh siblings banging and then you want to see their heads get chopped off yeah and then you want to see someone get their tongue ripped out and shoved up someone's ass look what we can do with all these needles right yeah like uh so it feels like a very american sensibility kind of thing that like i don't feel like we necessarily think about until it like jars us into having to do so Mm -hmm. um and i wonder if it is a result of like american since western sensibilities have always been about like creating that nuclear family and and having this very specific way that we exist in our lives and i feel like it's kind of moved into the way that our filmmaking has has been done over over the last few decades and that like it's very much about creating that fantasy that we can we can live off of um, and and live through. You talk about fantasy, right? Like this actually speaks to something that I, I think I was trying to get at before um, and you just helped me uh, click it into place in my brain. Yeah, it's stepping into a fantasy, but more and more and more and more, it's specifically about stepping into a nostalgic fantasy. That I think is a massive part of why these big tent poles, right? Marvel, Star Wars, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's why these things do as well as they do by and large is because kids absolutely eat that shit up and grown ass people like myself eat it up in equal measure because because it makes us feel like we felt when we were kids looking up at that screen the way they are. Right. Uh, but it's all about nostalgia. It's all about the comfort that comes along with nostalgia, the placation that comes along with nostalgia. So when, for example, you get, don't at me, when you get a movie like The Last Jedi, which I deeply love, which does absolutely step outside of what people wanted in terms of getting their really specific nostalgic hit like mm-hmm. right into their veins, yeah. you see there's a very vocal contingent of people who will get viscerally mad about it. This is true. Don't at me. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. No no adding being done. I mean, I, I wonder if it is... I know that we are very nostalgic now, um, and I feel like before it was a lot about like looking forward. Um, I mean, I, I think it was a lot of the nostalgia is because I was talking about 9-11 earlier today, uh, mostly because of how it has changed the mm. way that we um, like from because someone was saying like, I love the 90s. Um, and I was I was saying how like it wasn't that great of a time, but like we barely we try not to remember like 2001 through like the now. early aughts through now because like 
we had such a, a, a shift, a dynamic shift from that moment. And it like painted all of our media and it painted all of our, um, the way that like people walk through this, this world specifically in America. Um, and so like everything from 2001 through now, we, we either don't want to re-experience it, um, because it's, it was so traumatic or it's just a big fucking bummer. And so like, we try to go a little bit beyond that back into the nineties. Mm. Uh, whereas like people who were living through the eighties were, were really trying to look forward and being like, all right, 2000, the uh, nineties are like where everything's going to shift. The, the internet is uh, about to be a thing. Um, like technology is just starting to boom. Um, and so like during that period, what? Right, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying and I'm laughing because it really, it totally tracks that now we're all in a space of Jesus. Like, can I just pretend for a couple of hours that shit isn't as God awful all across right. the board as it actually right. is. Right. And yeah, that combined with studios figured out, oh, we can, we can sell them nostalgia hits and mass and make a fuck ton of money. They end up squeezing out smaller movies. This is something that, yeah, a lot of really passionate uh, uh, film fans have lamented is just sort of the rise of tentpoles at the expense of smaller, more interesting mid mid budget movies for adults. Yeah, going back to like you have to be a Darren Aronofsky at this point to get to make a movie mm. like Mother, and because it made people so uncomfortable, because at no point was he interested in your comfort, in your placation. Right, because it didn't do very well. It's unlikely that the next filmmaker is going to get a shot to make that movie again. And whether or not you particularly care for Mother, I find that to be a shame because at least they gave him a bunch of money to roll the dice super fucking hard. Right. But, you know, this is a good example of how you can make someone uncomfortable without a single relevant pop culture reference either. You're not referencing the culture at all, but yet, you know. It's it's even like in terms of mother like it's hard to even place where it takes place in time yeah no yeah especially upon first watch you have to kind of oh yeah it's not until uh michelle pfeiffer brings out that cell phone exactly oh right yeah Yeah. because other than that there's very little in the way of immediately recognizable modern technology everybody's dress there's sort of there's no architecture to go off of he writes on like literal what looks like parchment essentially yeah yeah which essentially almost makes it a, a fairly timeless movie. Like you could watch it in 10 years and be like, right. maybe you could be like, oh, I guess she's using a, but I think she was using a flip phone. Maybe I don't remember if she was using an iPhone or like something that is already dated in that. Like you look back and it's just like, all right, cool. It's old. Yeah. Or is it? Uh, oh, hmm. oh. Mm. Um, they drink lemonade, the most timeless of beverages. Right. That's true. That's never going out of style. Mm. Never. Hmm. <laughs> Sweet, sweet summertime baby meat. Ooh, Ooh, yeah! Feast on his flesh. Wash so it you down may be saved. with a lemonade. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Oh man, I'm I yeah. Kind of going back to the idea of the next Darren Aronofsky trying to make uh, something that bucks the the regular narrative structure and how like. The movies that we are now remaking at the time were revolutionary. They they were no one had done them before, and now we're just retreading. Mm-hmm. And so, like now we're getting a bunch of copies of copies. And so, like and, and we're it's getting not used about, to it, right? And it's not about well, how how much further can we push this concept? It tends to be about hey, do you remember that thing? 
that yeah. you really like that you probably already right. have a copy of at home if We're you're a really big fan give like, it to you again yeah yeah but this time it's like a, a photorealistic cg dog that's eating spaghetti yeah i guess yeah yeah, but like, and I'm the biggest fan of the Scooby-Doo film, <laughs> the original. As you should be. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, I remember it being fun. Because, um, like, let's take Ghostbusters, for example. Like, there wasn't... A, the Ghostbusters essentially has no arcs. Um, maybe Peter Venkman arcs at some point, but even hey! barely. Like it's, He goes from not busting ghosts to busting ghosts. Right. right. And so, like, that movie, and it, like, when it was created, I think that, like... It's so well received because it is original. It's new. You have these characters who you love. Um, and a really specific alchemy that I think could only have existed between those actors. Right. But, like, no one at this point in time would make that movie um, if it didn't exist before. Right. No one would be like, all right, we're, we're, we're going to make this movie about dudes uh, using science to bust spectral things. So the very first note would be, Venkman's not likable enough. Right. And we'd have to like really mm-hmm. heavily rewrite his character, completely drain him of right. all of his quirks. Now, I'm sure Murray brought a fuck ton to it that wasn't on the page. Yeah. But yeah, I think that would be absolutely the first note. You'd never get to make that. Well, oh, speaking no. of likable characters, did you guys like uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character in this? Was she s- sympathetic with her or is she a shrew? Okay, so here's the thing, Was right? She... This is something that I think has been talked... I, I saw some people around when the movie came out like joking but not joking about it on Twitter. And as somebody who has had uh, uh, extensive experiences with severe, severe anxiety, uh, I have a great amount of empathy and sympathy for her because I've had that experience. That's just what it feels like having people over mm-hmm. when you are severely anxious. Um, so no, the whole, if you're Javier Bardem, or if you're more specifically, if you're like Michelle Pfeiffer's character looking at her, I could definitely see her reading as shrewish. But no, I feel so intensely bad for her the entire mm-hmm. movie because I'm like, I, if my, if you were hopping on my sink, I told you the sink wasn't braced yet. If you keep hopping up and down on my sink and it crashes out of the wall, I'm probably going to feel similarly to how she right. felt. <laughs> I find her to be sympathetic. I, I also find her character to be frustratingly written Mm -hmm. um in that like i feel like she was written specifically to have no real agency like she can she can try everything she she, even if she she extends dissatisfaction everyone just shits on her from the very beginning yeah um and there's even like there's that moment where I knew it was going to be a rough ride for her when when you first see her with Javier Bardem and and uh, she's like I love you and she goes to kiss him and he's like I'm gonna go take a shower mm-hmm. and it's like oh she's gonna be this like super doting yeah. like uh, perpetually loving character um, and she's just gonna be shat on the whole time which really is a bummer right and even before that you know she wakes up and she's like well, where were you. He's like, I'm outside. I wanted to be alone. And she didn't like that. She right. gives him a look. He's like, and then he has to justify that. So then she's painted as needy and a little, you know, a little clingy and a little. Right. And every choice that she seems to be making of her own volition, like all of the work that she, she did, or at least seems to have a memory of doing, of putting the house back together. It's 100% for him. Right. She's right. not do. it's, it's, she literally says, I think to Michelle Pfeiffer's character who, who says, you know, like it would have, wouldn't it have been easier to just start over, like at a different house? And she's like, no, this is, 
his home. Like every choice she herself is making is still 100% to service this dude's comfort. Right. So, you know, if we're looking at the metaphor of Mother Earth, then what is that saying? I mean, it feels like if you are going, if you are assuming that Darren Aronofsky with his super traditional Jewish upbringing believes every word of the Old Testament, it means that like the earth was specifically created to service man uh, using your uh, reading of Javier Bardem as man. It was created to service and all, all man does is mistreat it. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though it has man's best interest right. at heart. Yeah. Right. Okay. It literally exists to provide for you, provided you don't abuse it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and even then, like, it, it, it takes so much for it to even uh, lash back. Like, it takes it takes getting beaten and, and all of its resources uh, taken from it in order for it to just even fight back a little bit. Right. Like, even up until then, she's she's constantly asking, like, what's going on? Like, w- looking to Javier to explain everything that is happening to her. Probably a little longer than she should have, than right. one normally would. She's still like, what's going on? When yeah. she should have, you know, got the heck out of Dodge which, right, 10 which, minutes earlier. But I get the impression, right? Like, she can't leave. Right. Right? Like She can, but she can't. She's inextricably tied to that house right and that's why like he can go outside right it's like i was outside he can go outside yeah she can't go outside yeah. like right. he can exist outside of and again that like uh, that that sort of feeds my reading in, into like him as god he gets to exist outside of this world outside mm-hmm. of the, you call it a planet outside of this this sphere this this biosphere that is the house he can exist outside of it but she can't she is she is linked to it she's essentially one with the space i think that's why she right. can essentially like perceive the 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 house literally like having a heartbeat inside right. the walls yeah. but I, I will counter that with you know in support of javier Bardem being man is that like he can exist outside of her best interests but she cannot exist outside of his so he can go off and abuse you know theoretically if he's off abusing whatnot she is still tied to her mission to doing good she can't break from that he can it's not so much he, you know, he's omnipotent one up, but he can act outside of her best interests over yeah. the vows that he has made to her. And man can go to space. What? That was my, I, yeah, that was my. <laughs> so whenever Javier Bardem leaves, is like essentially space, space travel. It is space <laughs> force. Join the space force. This movie is about space, and like <laughs> that's something we haven't touched on. Something yeah. nobody's touched on. It's about all these aliens coming to Earth. And us not being able to defend against them, and right. man being like, "Come on, this aliens!" Is a, this is a pro-Trump film. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh huh. It's actually they they were really clever. Like they were seeding this way way early, and it's actually Space Force propaganda. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're gonna release a cut like this time next year. Aronofsky's gonna release a cut. It's the exact same movie, but every character except Jennifer Lawrence is wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just it's the same movie. They beat the shit is, out of her. You know, baby. is Bardem and whatnot? Is he the liberal 
you see this you see the liberal force of everyone welcome to my house oh my and she's God. like what are you yes. doing here you are ruining everything they're eating the baby and they're like this is the future liberals want yeah <laughs> i think we've made some we're headway. eating this yeah. baby coastal elites <laughs> And yeah. in Mother 2 Space Force, when everyone starts rushing the house, um, like elite soldiers descend from the sky and just start yeah. shooting everyone as they're coming in. And you're like, this is the fucking Space Force. It's no one's touching this house. It's like all of a sudden we're in Starship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> like the big bug things just crash through the wall and shit. They eat Kristen Wiig. Yep. And then Jennifer yeah. Lawrence picks up a big weapon and she's uh-huh. like, ah! And at the end of the movie, she succumbs and she puts on one of the red hats and everybody looks right into the camera gives a big old thumbs up and goes right. Space Force yep. directed by Darren Aronofsky uh-huh. and this probably would have garnered a similar reaction than to what the actual film did <laughs> it definitely you would know, have made people a lot were, of people, people were just as mad but on that note I would have liked to see a rocket ship come from underneath the house and blast it upward wouldn't that well, have been amazing yeah, like, like up but being propelled from underneath oh yeah. see I'm picturing like when Slim Pickens rides the bomb in Doctor Strangelove like mm-hmm. that's how Jennifer Lawrence destroys everybody right like she just boom like right through the ceiling just flies into the sky and then we reverse in space we're above her now and she's just riding the bomb down being like and javier pardem's looking up like no right yeah in slow motion but only him in slow motion everybody else normal speed and he's just like no Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah i'd like to imagine as she's falling they play the song our house in the middle right. of oh, the street, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Scene. We just we wrote we we wrote a we wrote a better one. We're, we'll remake it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, red hats and Newton and right. nuclear bombs. I mean, and now that it already exists, that means that we can make it. The studio will greenlight it because we're like, yo, we're rebooting Mother, and they'll be like, totally, and, and yeah, that sweet IP that worked out great the first time. Yeah, right. And it's a low key reboot of Doctor Strange Love as well. So you got right. two properties. We're slamming it together. Everybody loves crossovers. You saw how well those fucking marvel things you do green light green light jennifer lawrence riding the bomb and that'll be the the whole marketing campaign yeah the key art is going to be jennifer lawrence on the nuke and that's also going to be the tagline it's going to be it's going to be like uh uh you know uh fucking mother two right and then yeah. just the tagline is jennifer lawrence rides the bomb and that's how we sell it mm-hmm. and it's in, in 50 years no one will remember the movie, but they will remember the marketing. They'll be like, that was a brilliant campaign. I can still picture J-Law riding that bomb like yeah. it was yesterday. Hell yeah. Did you see the movie? No. Nah. You don't need to. But boy, her on that bomb. <laughs> That's an iconic, iconic image. Not <laughs> a great sales great. tool as it turns out. Didn't really know anything about the product based on that image, but really evocative. Yeah. Right. It's like Sicario 2. You just, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's the, 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 uh, broken, uh, pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that image. Same thing. Right. Did you see the movie? No, no. but I've seen that gif a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Sicario I 2? did see Sicario How was 2. It? I'm glad you asked. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't as good, man. Yeah. No. But did it was it, fun. Did it buck traditional narratives? Negative. Damn. Yeah. I mean, but I imagine none of the characters were particularly likable. That's true. I mean, I would imagine that, like, in the sequel, they definitely made it more narrative. Like, whereas the first mm-hmm. one was just like, where is this going? Right. This one, they're like, this is your protagonist, and yeah. he's doing a protagonist thing. Yeah. Um, it's so way more traditional. Yeah. That's what happens in sequels where they're like, yo, let's put this in a nice little bow. Right. You liked them bows, bro? Whereas yeah. they should just go more like you have a sequel, oh, you gotta just like go off the wall. That would be great. Yeah, I would like to see that. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's like if the first one was successful, you'd think you'd be able to take more chances the second time around. Right. Yeah. But then I guess people think like right with something like Sicario, which did so well, which potentially lends itself to a bigger world and more stories. I guess right, some cynical persons being like franchise it. So now we got to play it a little bit more safe so that we make the most people comfortable and placated that right. we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, sequels are a double-edged sword in that like you always have to worry about alienating fans of the first one cuz you're like it, they'll be cuz I feel like there's always the the feedback or the criticism that it like got too far away from the original concept. Um, but then also, if you make it too much of the same, then everyone's like, it was the same as the first one. You saw uh, Hangover 1. Hangover 2 is the same thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you... I'm trying to think of a really good sequel that was just like, we're doing something super different. Um, but I can't at the moment. Uh, you guys Shrek. are movie people. Yeah. Shrek. Yeah. Shrek was like, we're, we're, we're throwing in another land and we're having kids. Was that the kids one? No. Or was that the third one? Was the no, kids... I mean, they talk about having kids. Which one, one is the No, it's true. Meet the Parents is essentially. Oh. It's Shrek 2 Meet the Parents. Yeah. Is essentially what it is. Um, which was great. All the Shreks are great. I don't know if yeah. you guys know that. Also, oh. the, all the Kung Fu, fan, Kung Fu Pandas are pretty good too. I did not see. This is see, good to know. I did yeah. not see Little Fockers. Oh, I so did. I don't, I didn't, I don't know how the Meet the Parents saga. You want to talk about concludes. bucking traditional narrative? Yeah. Do they leave it open ended? Oh yeah. Do they all die at the end? All the fuckers. Do they just yeah. like eat the babies and beat the shit out hey. of Ben Stiller? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And then Jennifer Lawrence rides the bomb. Uh huh. And it's like fucking Jennifer. Wow, what an expensive yeah. cameo this must have been. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, I did it for free. I love it. Yeah. These films are undoubtedly connected. <laughs> Um, here's something interesting. Yes. yes. You know, uh, how does this affect what Darren Aronofsky can do next? Because I think it does. Uh, certainly. Uh, my first guess is not this again, right? right? I don't think he gets to yeah. do this again. Or if he if he does, right, like maybe a, a viable option for him would be to partner with a streaming service who says, well, we want to give you X amount of money. You can essentially do whatever the hell you want. Right. Uh, go for it. Like, yeah, uh, you and I, Connor, were talking about uh, a lot of fil- filmmakers who have made the jump right from film to television because television is affording creative people far more space to yeah. do the kinds of things that they want to do to take uh, to take risks, both narratively uh, and also in terms of uh, form, right? Like that, like uh, uh, how Showtime gave David Lynch all of the resources to do 18 hours of Twin Peaks and how it bucks almost every convention you can think of, right? TV yeah. is giving auteur filmmakers the space to do that. Now, he might be, Aronofsky might be like Christopher Nolan, who's basically like it's film, it's theatrical exhibition, right. or it's nothing. Yeah. But if he's not, then I do think there's a chance he gets to take another wild shot. Maybe not this exact vibe again, but I do think there's a chance he he gets to take another big shot somewhere else. I mean, he's not going to you're not going to not finance a Darren Aronofsky project if you can finance it real cheap. I feel like he has to do one for them, though. Like I feel like he almost has to step back and do another Noah. We'll take one step back before he can take two steps forward. Right? Like, and he was, you'd think, right, if they if they would let him, if he was interested in kind of playing ball with the studio machine, he was attached at various points. I think he was attached to a Wolverine movie at one point. Mm. He, was, he was looking at doing a Batman movie at one point. So he has, in the past, demonstrated a certain willingness to do things, quote-unquote, for them. Right. So maybe he does, right? Like, maybe he does, like... I don't know. Give him like a give him Man of Steel two. 
Give him Man of Steel yeah. 2 and, and Superman grimaces and eats a baby. And it makes a whole bunch of money. And then he's like, let me take some of the grosses of this and make Mother 2. Exactly. Because I just want that marketing wow. campaign. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. I'm just doing it to justify. So you'll pay to market it. And I can I can frame that poster. It's Man like, of it, Steel two to Mother two, right? And wouldn't it be That's wouldn't it be uh, wouldn't it be cheaper, uh, uh, Darren, to just mock up a poster for? He was like, no, I want it on like bus stops and billboards and shit. <laughs> right. So we got to make the movie so you can sell the movie, right? Of course. But I would love to see Aronofsky TV series, like a six part. Hell, I'll take a four part. Give him, give him a miniseries. Give him like, yeah. and just let him do whatever he wants. Let him do shit. He did the Bible in this movie. Let him do the Quran next. Seriously, just give him like five hours on on Cinemax to do right. the Quran. That would upset a lot of people. Oh, yeah. definitely would. <laughs> you know your audience. That would upset so very many people. Uh, I mean, I think that like he, I feel like he makes movies for himself. Um, specifically very personal movies. So, like, I think that he'll walk into a studio and be like, I'm Darren fucking Aronofsky. Like, I want to make this movie. And they'll be like, all right. I mean, your last one wasn't critically received. And he's like, who gives a shit? Pay, my, pay me money. Yeah. And he'll just do it. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think this will hit his... Because, like, even if it wasn't well received, like, we are talking about it right now. Which means that, like, to some studio, that means that uh, however many people that we that listen to us now are aware of it and, and and other people who are doing their reviews those like so even if it's not commercially successful he still has enough buzz around his name to like warrant people investing in him yeah, yeah. and he's just got to, it's gonna be interesting he's got to be careful I just That's want him saying. to start pitching the craziest shit. Like, going in there with, like, that attitude you just fucking yeah. exhibited. It was like, I'm fucking Darren Aronofsky. You're going to pay for my shit. Like, we're making a sequel to Pi, and it's going to star Ryan Gosling as yeah. the Pi. And the execs are like, does he remember what his own movie was about? <laughs> oh, man. That's stupid. That's, uh, like, oh, that's a bad pitch. Yep. That's, I think that's a good place to just start wrapping this baby up. Yeah. You know, you can have um, one mother, but you can't have two mothers, I don't think. Um, in real life, you can, though, guys. We support. Oh, my we, God. We support right. uh, yes. same-sex marriage and adoption. Yes. yes. Guys, we're big fans of it. It's, it's great. Big, uh, there are a lot old. of children out there who need parents, and we shouldn't provide barriers for them. I'm making this. I'm making this real. This guys. got super right. real, real really quickly. Real. I'm I just saying, oh my god! Like, this shouldn't. is true. This is the official stance of missing out. Are we sponsored? Yeah. We just got. We don't. I don't even need to be. No. I just oh my god. guys like we don't need to be creating extra barriers for Oof. children to get parents. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's important that these these kids get raised in a great environment. And that's all that's really not, that's all that's really uh, should matter to you guys. Right. Right. Yeah. And just like not in an environment where they're not the have farmhouse from mother. Yeah. Right. And they get eaten. <laughs> and if like, you are a child born there, you should. Yeah. Look you, at all you your should definitely options. like you're, you're actually might be better off on your own. Yeah. If yes. You're born into that house. You, but if you're. <laughs> If, Use but, that one phone to dial child services. But can you can you imagine, right? If two nice people in the crowd had been like, "We'll adopt that baby," a nice same sex couple, and they got the baby out of there, and nobody ate the baby. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There was no good. Were there any good people amongst the mob? Are there ever? Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, like you, if you look at, if you watch the movie with captions, like it's specifically like Zealot does this, Zealot yeah. does that. Like That's it's, what I'm it's saying. Rough. Um. So. Thank you for talking to us about oh. Mother. 
Um, I'm so glad I found uh, a vent for mother and my mother thoughts. <laughs> I feel like, right? I don't this get to have great. enough conversations about this about is a this movie. Good outlet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we uh, this was a really good discussion. Uh, we all got to talk about our, our different interpretations. This is my kind of jam, bruh. Yeah, I think you know we dug so far into this that we ended up getting to that space fleet argument. And yep. So that's when you know you've you've dug all the <laughs> right. We went as far down the, the rabbit hole as we could. All the soil, and yeah. we're now like there's dirt under our fingernails and shit from trying <laughs> to dig further. We hit concrete and we're yeah. still going. I'm bleeding and yeah. shit. Yeah. Just punching I, it I in look, there. I look like Jennifer Lawrence at the end of Mother. Yeah. And I don't mean like beat it's, to shit. I mean like the burned out. It's not burned pretty, out us. But oh man, she really does not have a good time in this movie. No, not at no. all. Uh, Connor, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? You, you do want to let people know where they can find you? You got them social medias? Yeah, bro. Oh yeah. I'm just, if you just search Connor Kurth, K U R T H, you will find me. Here's what I want to say. Yes. Yeah. I think we've all been jennifer lawrence at some point in that situation where we just feel like what the fuck is going on this is a spiral and javier bardem is to blame yeah that's what i every time when i get a flat tire i'm like fuck you javier bardem yes (laughs) sometimes you're jennifer sometimes you're javier uh i don't i don't really mean that i have a deep respect for javier bardem that's not a guy i want i see no country for old men i don't want to piss off javier bardem and have come after me with like one of those piston shooters i think we can agree on that yeah yeah (laughs) So actually, it's more it's more important to fear Javier Bardem than to respect him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, Lex, where can they find you? Oh, man. Uh, don't don't tell Javier Bardem where I am. And if, if mm-hmm. you know where he is and you know where I should not be for my own personal safety, that you can at me about at, at the Lex Michael. Awesome. I'm not like, yeah. genuinely afraid Javier Bardem will come for me in the night. I'd like to imagine that he'll cradle your head before he uh, rips your heart out. He'll sing you a little song. Yeah. Tell like, you a little tale. He, he like crushes my heart and he makes the, the crystal and like it he just it makes a whole a whole world but like a really shitty like kind of half-assed like this is a really good idea that isn't developed fully over here. Like yeah. this looks like it would be a nice wall if you finished it. That type of shit. Right. Of Why course. is everything all these colors? Yeah. And then you'll wake up with a new nose. Um... I'm not over it. It's weird. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. why it happens. Um, you know it's a different actress, right? Yes. <laughs> so it's not just a different nose. It's an entirely different person. Yes. But in my mind, it's just the nose. He's like, I don't... Because like, they look similar enough to where like it's just a, a little different. Anyway, he's like, <laughs> I couldn't love this one all, because of the nose. It all reconstitutes, and it's just a giant nose that rolls over <laughs> in bed and goes, <laughs> credits. <laughs> the caption says, honey, or baby. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, you guys Where can, can they find you? <laughs> you can find me <laughs> at Tari J. That's on Instagram and Twitter. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Um, once again... Connor, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will uh, put any additional information. I will personally Google you and put anything that I find in the description He's below. Yeah, be you. careful He's what you straight up dox searching you. for. If you've seen <laughs> the fountain, you won't know what that means. Mm, yeah. I have. Um, all right, guys, we will see you next week. 
Uh, if you have any thoughts on Mother, let us know by hitting us up at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T on Twitter. And we will see you next week. These guys have got a good thing going. Tune back in. Hell yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. That's going to be my ringtone from now on. It's going to be you saying these guys have got a good thing going. Tune back in. And everybody's going to be like, what the fuck does that even refer to? That plug was almost free too, by the way. This is really great. Practically free. It's really oh, oh shit. Oh damn. It is Connor Kurth extracts a cost. <laughs> well, we'll talk. I hope you guys are on Venmo. Nope. <laughs> Square cash only. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, guys, I've already forgotten how to pronounce your last name, but his first name is Connor. <laughs> you guys, we can, hello. We could cut. We Thank cut you. that out. <laughs>